Chapter 1 Yogi Johnson stood looking out of the window of a big pump factory in Michigan. Spring would soon be there. Could it be that what this writing fellow Hutchinson had said, oh, if winter comes, can spring be far behind, would be true again this year? <laughs> Yogi Johnson wondered. Near Yogi at the next window, but stood one, but one stood Scripps O'Neill. Scripps O'Neill, a tall, lean man with a tall, lean face, both stood and looked out at the empty yard of the pump factory. Snow covered the crated pumps that would soon be shipped away. Once the spring should come and the snow melt, workmen from the factory would break out the pumps from the piles where they were snowed in and haul them down to the GR&I station where they would be loaded on flat carts and shipped away. Yogi Johnson looked out of the window at the Snowden pumps and his breath made little fairy tracings on the cold window pane. Yogi Johnson thought of Paris. Perhaps it was the little fairy tracings that reminded him of the gay city where he had once spent two weeks. Two weeks that were to have been the happiest weeks of his life. That was all behind him now. That and everything else. Scripps O'Neill had two wives. As he looked out of the window, standing tall and lean and resilient with his two, with his, oh, I'm sorry, with his own tenuous hardness, he thought of both of them. One lived in Massalona, and the other lived in Petoski. He had not seen the wife who lived in Mansalona since last spring. He looked out at the snow-covered pump yards and thought what spring would mean. With his wife in Mansalona, Scripps often got drunk. When he was drunk, he and his wife were happy. They would go down together to the railway station and walk out along the tracks and then sit together and drink and watch the trains go by. They would sit under a pine tree on a little hill and overlook the railway and drink. Sometimes they drank all night. Sometimes they drank for a week at a time. It did them good. It made Scripps strong. Scripps had a daughter whom he playfully called Laoshi O'Neill. Her real name was Lucy O'Neill. One night, after Scripps and his old woman had been out drinking on the railroad line for three or four days, he lost his wife. He did not know where she was. When he came to himself, everything was dark. He walked along the railroad track toward town. The ties were stiff and hard under his feet. He tried walking on the rails. He couldn't do it. He had the dope on that night 
on, he had the dope on that, all right. What does that mean? He went back to walking along the ties. It was a long way into town. Finally, he came to where he sees, he see the lights of the switchyard. He got away from the tracks and passed the Mansalona High School. It was a yellow brick building. There was nothing rococo about it, like the buildings he had seen in Paris. No, he had never been to Paris. That was not he. That was his friend, Yogi Johnson. Yogi looked out of the window. Soon it would be time to shut the pump factory for the night. He opened the window carefully. Just a crack. Just a crack. But that was enough. Outside in the yard, the snow had begun to melt. A warm breeze was blowing. A Chinook wind, the pump fellows called it. A warm Chinook wind came in through the window into the pump factory for the night. Oh, thank you. Came into the pump factory. All the workmen laid down their tools. Many of them were Indians. The foreman was a short, iron-jawed man. He had once made a trip as far as Duluth. Duluth was far across the blue waters of the lake in the hills of Minnesota. Ah, a wonderful thing had happened to him there. The foreman put his finger in his mouth to moisten it and held it in the air. He felt the warm breeze on his finger. He shook his head ruefully and smiled at the man, a little grimly, perhaps. Eh. Well, it's a regular Chinook, boys. Silently, for the most part, the foreman hung their tools. The half-completed pumps were put away in their racks, half-completed. The workmen filed, some of them talking, others silent, a few muttering, to the washroom to wash up. Outside the window came the sound of an Indian war whoop. End of chapter one. We'll be back. I'm eating now. Bye. Chapter two. Ooh. So the reason I'm reading this book is because I just saw a video with, what's his name? Mr. Rowe, R-O-W-E. And he was being on the Foxy channel and he was talking about the topic of quiet quitting. And I found that what he said was very intriguing. And it led me to a video of his mother being interviewed about her books. And I was like, that's very interesting too. I like to get to know more about her, but I don't have money to buy books. So 
we're going to go read Hemingway, which I've never read. Why? I don't know. I got stuff to do, like all the stuff I've done. Great. I can't even go back to the page I was at. So, yes, we are reading this in honor of Peggy Rowe and Hemingway. Oh, Lord, I pray that the messages you've had for us through the ages will all be Your words, Father, are worth every minute of my time. If I can find it, good Lord, where did it go? I have too many tabs, people. Too many tabs. Okay, we'll be back then. I'm not sure if I'm hooked yet, but we'll see. I'll give it one more chapter, see if I'm interested. Scripps O'Neill stood outside of Mansalona High School, looking up at the lighted windows. It was dark, and the snow was falling. It had been falling ever since Scripps could remember. A passerby stopped and stared at Scripps. After all, what was this to man to him? What was this man to him? He went on by. Scripps stood in the snow and stared up at the lighted windows of the high school. Inside, there were people learning things. Far into the night, they worked, the boys vying with the girls in their search for knowledge. This urged for the learning of things that was sweeping America. Oh, okay. His girl, Little Lousie, a girl that had cost him a cool $75 in doctor's bills was in their learning. Scripps was proud. It was too late for him to learn, but there, day after day, night after night, Lousy was learning. She was, she had the stuff in her, that girl. Scripps went on up to his house. It was not a big house, but it wasn't size that mattered to Scripps, old woman. Scripps, she'd often say when she had drinking, they were, you know, drinking together. Scripps, I don't want a palace. All I want is a place to keep the wind out. Scripps had taken her at her word. <laughs> Now, as he walked in the late evening through the snow and saw the lights in his own house, he felt glad that he had taken her at her word. It was better this way than if he had and than if he were coming home to a palace. He, Scripps, was not the sort of chap that wanted a palace. No. He opened the door of his house and went in. Something kept going through his head. He tried to get it out, but it was no good. What was it that poet chap, his friend Harry Parker, had, had met 
once in Detroit had written? Harry Parker, what? Yeah, I met him in Detroit once. What did he write? He used to recite it. Through pleasures and palaces, though I may roam. When you something, 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 there's no place like home. <laughs> oh, he could not remember the words, not all of them. He had written a simple tune to it and taught Lucy to sing it. That was when they first were married. Scripps might have been a composer, one of these chaps that write the stuff the Chicago Symphony Orchestra plays. If he had a, if he had had a chance to go on, he would get Lucy to sing that song tonight. He would never drink again. Drinking robbed him of his ear for music, you see. Tunes when he was drunk. The sound of the whistles of the train at night, pulling up the Boyne Falls grade, seemed more lovely than anything this chap. Stravinsky had ever written. Drinking had done that. It was wrong. He would get away to Paris. Like this chap, Albert Spaulding, that played the violin. Scripps opened the door. He went in. Lucy, it is me. It is I. Scripps. He would never drink again. No more nights out on the railroad. Perhaps Lucy needed a new fur coat. Perhaps, after all, she wanted a palace instead of this place. You never knew how you were treating a woman. Perhaps, after all, this place was not keeping out the wind. Fantastic. He lit a match. Lucy! He called, and there was a note of dumb terror in his mouth. His friend, Walt Simmons, had heard just such a cry from a stallion that had once run over, had been run over, by a passing autobus in the place Vendome. In Paris, in Paris, there were no geldings. All the horses were stallions. They did not breed mares, not since the war, at least. Yeah, the war changed all that. Anyways, Lucy, he called, and again, Lucy. There was no answer. The house was empty. Through the snow-filled air. As he stood there, alone, in his tall leanness, in his own deserted house, there came to Scripps' ear the distant sound of an Indian war hoop. I can't do that right now because the baby's sleeping. You get it. Okay, great. This is getting interesting, people. I don't know why I'm liking the story. Probably because I haven't read a story about American cities in the longest time. Yeah, I'm feeling more American now. Thank you, Hemingway. Talk to you later. End of chapter two.